This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Elections for the police board are uh, coming up this coming Thursday, the first meeting of the brand new year for the police services board. And uh, quite a few challenges for the board moving forward, and, and one of them, of course, being the budget. Lloyd Ferguson is the uh, current chair of the board for the uh, Hamilton Police Services Board. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about some of those challenges. Uh, good morning, Lloyd. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Bill. Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you, too. Hope, trust it was a good one for you and the family. It was good, yes. All right. I, I, by the way, are you technically still the chair, or does that, does that end at the end of the year? No, I'm technically still chair. Under the Police Services Act, the first meeting of the new year requires the re-election or election of a new chair and a vice chair. So... I'm still chair until Thursday at um, at three o'clock, and or, or sorry, two o'clock, and we'll see what happens after that. You want the job? Yeah, I think so. I I, th- I still got a lot of work to do. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, we've we've got all the senior command in place now. They're, they're all new. The chief's new, and uh, one deputy's brand new, and the other deputy's been in uh, the job for about a year and a half. So it's and uh, I'm learning a lot. And selfishly, that's one thing I like is to always learn. And uh, so I look forward to uh, serving our community in that capacity for another year if uh, the police board members allow me to do that. There is, uh, I, I read Andrew Dressel's column today in The Spectator, and there's, uh, he, he suggests anywhere there's some concern about the vice chair, uh, uh, the reappointment of a couple of members uh, and, and, and a couple of issues that are going on like that. Uh, are you at all concerned about any of this stuff? It seems to me as if it's what's the, the only thing that's holding up the reappointment of the two members right now is, is really just kind of some bureaucratic red tape at Queens Park. Yeah, it's just formalities that are left. The, uh, they, they should have been reconfirmed back in December, but... Uh, a cabinet, as I understand it, a cabinet meeting had to be cancelled where they get order and council to, to make these appointments and had to be cancelled because I think the Premier had to go to uh, France for that climate summit and, and so uh, it wasn't able to get on the agenda. But uh, So uh, the staff of the uh, Ministry of Correctional Services were able to provide an extension until March. Um, yeah, but Tevin Meekin is, is very confident that he'll get it through cabinet uh, before that time period. So, no, it's not, it's not a risk. So, Stan Tick and, and Madeline Levy, of course, the, the, the two people we're talking of here right now, should be and probably will be reappointed to the board. Are you comfortable with that? I'm very comfortable. They're, they're both great um, contributors to the board. Um, you know, Stan has an impeccable reputation as a, as a lawyer in our community. Uh, and Madeline, of course, is a tireless volunteer in our community and has been on the board for a while. And, and quite frankly, I like it. I think it's a good mix when a, a member of council is the chair and a provincial appointee is the vice chair. We have um, nutty schedules, and so I'm not able to attend every event that I'm invited to as the board chair, but Madeline's able to cover those for me because uh, she has more time available. And also, uh, Sometimes there's a lot of research required on some issues, and she's a master at that and provides great assistance to myself and the rest of the board members by researching something before we get to the board level with it. So uh, I'm very comfortable with both of them. What are the challenges? Let's assume that you're reelected as, as chair. I, I talked to some of the members of the board over the last couple of years, and they seem quite happy with the work you're doing. So I don't know if there's any upset. I don't even know if anybody else wants the job. I guess you'll find that on Thursday. But it's, let's assume you, that you've got the job back and you're the chair of the police services board. Obviously, the police service budget is, is, is job one. Is, is that the biggest challenge for you this year? Well, the, the budget's already been approved for 2017 yeah. by the board. We have to get it through council yet. But, um, you know, Mike Zagarek, our, our chief financial officer, amongst other things at the city, um, plugged in a number that was significantly higher as an increase based on the average over the last five years. And uh, we come in at, the, I believe, it was the 26 area 
to uh, when and he was well into the mid threes on his projections of what expected from the police board. Now there'll be some challenges uh, when we go before council, but it's 88 percent salaries and wages. Where it, you know I'm not going to repeat all this again because we've talked endlessly about this on your show. But um, these things are arbitrated, and, and the arbitrators don't consider to ability to pay. So it's all with comparators. And it's interesting, uh, a first-class constable, which is the, the position that we benchmark often, everybody moves with the first-class constable. Um, you know, the difference between, I think, it's one to six in the province uh, is about 20 bucks, maybe maybe as high as 100 bucks a year. And, and so... Um, you know, traditionally Hamilton's always been number three. Uh, we still are, and uh, but there's very, very small difference uh, in, in annual compensation in all the Big 12. Uh, these are the ones that uh, arbitrators would benchmark against. Should we go to arbitration? And so um, uh, we're locked in a contract now. We we negotiate a multi-year contract which expires at the end of this year. And, of course, that's going to be one of our challenges in 2017 because the president of the associations already told me he wants to start negotiations early. And unlike city departments where we give uh, staff a mandate and they go off and negotiate, under the Police Services Act, it's the board members that actually negotiate with the union. And so that takes a lot of time and a big commitment, and uh, uh, we'll be getting into that this year. It's a very contentious issue, uh, and and uh, Hamilton's not unique in this. I mean, just about every community uh, is, is concerned about the, the rising budgets for police services in just about every other community in this province right now. And there have been some suggestions on how to deal with this. And I know the province is looking at amending different portions of the Police Services Act right now, and uh, and that negotiation has to be part of that. Now, will you have a voice in those discussions? Well, we already have. Uh, they've opened it up uh, through the Ontario Association of Police Services Boards and directly. We've We've spoken to them. I mean, the, the big thing that we want changed is in egregious issues where we can suspend without pay. There's no incentive to um, uh, get something before a hearing officer when an officer has been accused of uh, violating the Police Services Act. And so there's no incentive on the officer's side to get this to resolved um, because they're suspended with pay. And uh, in egregious issues, uh, you know, the chief or the board or both should have the right to be able to suspend without pay. And if the officer is found to have not committed it, then, of course, we'd reinstate uh, uh, retroactively that wages. But, um, you know, we have about 10 officers off on suspension with, a, with pay right now, and, and that's a big ticket item. And uh, we need to expedite this, and I believe we're the only province in the, in the country that still has this in place. Mm-hmm. That's a big cost we can control. It costs us about $500,000 per year. And uh, I'd like to get my arms around that. And um, But, of course, the ability to pay, the province has pretty clearly indicated they won't touch that. Uh, you watch with interest the Niagara when it takes years. You know, we've been years now before the uh, arbitration process with our firefighters at the city. And and so I watched with interest the Niagara um, uh, arbitration. And they made the pitch long before the Canadian dollar went down. Uh, and, and Niagara was suffering pretty badly in re- recession, high, high unemployment rates uh, because uh, people weren't visiting Niagara Falls anymore. Uh, now they've made big investments in new hotels there, and the Canadian dollar's down. There's still the problem you need a passport in order to get into Canada or get back into the United States, which chased a lot of visitors away. So they made that argument very strongly before an arbitrator. We don't have the ability to pay more. 
And uh, the arbitrator's ruling was interesting. He went reviewed all that, uh, says, I understand the ability to pay, but we won't consider that. It's strictly based on benchmarking off other settlements around the province and awarded that. And, and so um, with 88% of our budget being salaries and wages, it's a different nut to crack. So my focus, one of my focuses in 2017 is to still, and we're very confident uh, the province is going to make this change. It's just been so dreadfully slow. It's supposed to the, the, the um, opening up and changes to the Police Services Act was supposed to be done last November. Uh, well, before that, then moved to November, now it's to the spring. Uh, they, they just don't move very quickly on these things. But I fully expect they'll, they'll allow the chief, the board, or a combination of both to suspend without pay on egregious um, issues. Why does that take so long? You mentioned the, the negotiations with fire as well, and uh, emergency services. I mean, these are by, by the province's own decree, essential services, which is why this arbitration process is in place. But it moves at glacial speed, and that costs the city money. It does cost the city money because we're sitting... I mean, the argument for the fire has been done for quite a while. We're just awaiting for the decision from the arbitrator. But we have no control over those arbitrators. They're appointed by the province, and we simply sit back and wait. And, um, you know, fingers crossed that we can afford it once it's actually awarded. Um, now, fire is the only one that the city has is, is, is gone to arbitration on. Uh, we did get the settlement with police and, and all our other major unions. So the other unions, like QP and transit workers, they do have the right to strike. So that does not go to arbitration. But we've been, as the 10 years I've been on council, not had a strike in any sector. We've been able to negotiate um, a collective agreement. And, our, you know, the unions understand that, uh, you know, Hamilton's got high poverty rates and high seniors on fixed incomes, and, and they were reasonable. And our, our, our human resources staff did a good job in negotiations. We were able to get reasonable settlements. So fire is going to be our test. You mentioned that City Council still has to give a thumbs up to the budget, uh, the police services budget we're talking about here, of course. Uh, and I know that there are going to be people on Council, uh, Lloyd, that are going to say, look, at, uh, have you guys done everything? Have you picked every bone you can here to try to find savings? Uh, because that's obviously the challenge that you as a council are going to face with the larger budget, with the city budget itself. We're going to talk with Chris Murray about that in just a couple of minutes. But uh, but is is there more fat that can be trimmed from this budget? Well, you can always reduce officers. Um but if you look at our pop-to-cop ratio, uh, we are way below the province. We're about 50 police officers behind. And, of course, that's a pressure that I've had for years, well, since I've been chair and before that on the board, from our senior command wanting more officers to get that uh, police officer-to-population ratio back up more in line with the province. But we simply can't afford it. And the senior command has come on side with this budget. The, the only uh, There's only one new... Uh, FTE, who is that, it's a civilian position for our, our um, uh, well, the name just escapes me. It's not a rapid response unit. Um, it'll come to me in a second. But it's a civilian position that helps people in need. Uh, the position is. Well, that's the Coast program, isn't it? No, it's a different one. Oh, I, is it? I apologize. I'm just pulling up blank here in my brain. It'll come to me in a second. It's Monday morning. It's Monday morning. That's my excuse, too. But the. Um, it's been in place for a while and funded by other agencies who've withdrawn that funding now. And it's, it's once again, to deal with this whole mental health issue and get people to the right resource. And, uh, you know, I've talked about it before in your show. Mental health is not only a big new problem here in Hamilton, but across North America. And uh, it's important that we staff that property to get these people, you know, out of institutions and into the help they need. And, and that's what this position will do. 
So, so you're comfortable then that the budget as presented right now that will go to city council is 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 as lean as it can be. I am yes, and uh, you know, I was pretty tough on the senior command last fall. We were putting the budget together, but it's got to the point now where I think it's something that I can. Well, I will recommend it to city council, and I think council will endorse it. It is the lowest budget in 18 years uh, for the Hamilton Police Services. And um, and so there, there'll always be some objectors to it. I get that. That's fine. Well, I mean, I've I've heard from at least one council right now that's still looking at the forensic facility and suggesting that that's a frill that you don't necessarily need. Well, I'll tell you the status of that. Um, we now have the site plan approved on it. Uh, the building permit application was put in in December. Uh, the request for qualification is out to the marketplace right now. It'll close uh, next week. We'll then shortlist to um, the contractors that qualify, put it out for tender in uh, early February, and expect to award two months later and be in the ground this spring. So that ship has sailed. Uh, you know, to back up on that, would take a two-thirds majority of council, and I don't believe that was there. It was a strong majority that supported it originally. It's, it's a building that's needed. And, and, of course, I see that as, as something that I can be helpful with in 2017 is the construction of that because that's my background. You know, you know, we walked through City Hall together. I know you did some shows in City Hall. We mm-hmm. did that renovation, and it came in under budget and ahead of schedule. And, uh, you know, so the, the first test will be when they open the tenders, is it within budget? And then to keep it on schedule and on budget after that, something I can, can help the senior command with. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Hope springs eternal, I guess. Brand new year, uh, a brand new optimism, of course, for the city of Hamilton. Uh, we're on a bit of a winning streak right now. Things have gone pretty well from a, an economic standpoint, an economic development standpoint especially, over the last couple of years. But can they maintain that kind of positive momentum? And what are some of the challenges that are uh, facing the city as we move forward into 2017? Well, to that end, we're pleased to welcome Chris Murray, city manager for the city of Hamilton, to the Bill Kelly Show to talk about those. Chris, thanks for the time. Happy New Year, by the way. It's good to have you with us today. Yeah, same to you, Bill. Happy New Year. All right, we're we're feeling pretty good about this. It's been a couple of years right now of, of, of positive growth that we've seen. Uh, but uh, we want to go into this with eyes wide open. There are some major challenges facing the city this year. Yeah, there's uh, as there typically are, but... Uh you know, certainly we still have uh, infrastructure challenges, and uh, right now we have a, uh, a 2017 uh, budget challenge uh, that uh, we're going to have to address to try and keep taxes low. And uh, I'm sure your listeners understand why that is important to us, because we are so heavily reliant on the residential tax base to uh, pay for services that, uh, you know, not everyone can uh, afford uh, large increases, and so, uh, you know, we're very mindful of that. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that tax uh, the, the level right now, because that's been problematic. And, and I know that there are some listeners right now that can remember back in the old days when uh, when the industries like Stelco and DeFasco and International Harvester and Firestone and everybody else down on Burlington Street was, was actually paying the majority of the taxes here. I think it was about a 60 to 40 ratio. Uh, my information is about 88% of the uh, the taxes collected come from residential right now. Is that an accurate number? Uh, 88. In fact, it might even be uh, slightly worse than that. In fact, uh, and, and just to put it in perspective, uh, the average in Ontario of uh, residential versus non-residential tax uh, uh, support is uh, about 83. So... Um, you know, uh, municipalities such as Burlington and even Oakville, for that matter, uh, have uh, are slightly less reliant on the residential tax base percentage-wise than than we are. So, and I, I say it could be getting worse because uh, 
as you know, the actual assessed, uh, assessment uh, calculation isn't done by the city of Hamilton. It's done by a provincial organization uh, called MPAC, and uh, industrial uh, landowners are, are they challenge, as, as you can imagine, they challenge their tax assessment, and uh, they've been fairly successful with those challenges. So um, this is a problem, and uh, just to you know, just to put it in perspective, if we wanted to uh, go one percent in the right direction, meaning uh, take uh, go from eighty-eight to eighty-seven percent, we would have to add in one year three uh, Arcelor, Mattel, Defascos uh, to our to our tax rolls. So um, that would. Be well, that's a, not going to happen. We all know that. No. So I mean, it's you know, and I think you know, it's it's I think uh, very logical that we would want to. Uh, attack this problem because uh, with an aging population, household incomes are, are aren't going to continue to rise as people retire. Their household income is probably going to uh, reduce, and uh, and those are people that have good pensions. There's many people that don't have pensions and are going to rely on the the federal and provincial government programs. And um, so, I mean, this is a very serious problem, and uh, we need to make sure that. Our, our lands, our, our certainly our airport, uh, the lands around our airport, as well as, as probably you've read recently, the uh, uh, the Stalco property. And these are wonderful opportunities to attract businesses uh, that pay that non-residential tax and uh, and provide great jobs. And, well, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that going forward, because it, it looks, Chris, at, at, at first glance, as if there's a light at the end of the tunnel to do with the, the Stelco situation here. I mean, there's a buyer there. I know not everybody's enthralled with Bedrock, but, I mean, they, they seem to have some money. Uh, the province has decided on some sort of a partnership with them, although we're not even sure about all the details on that. You, you're sitting here right now. You weren't at the table for those negotiations. Uh, you're certainly an interested observer here, and the city could actually benefit greatly if uh, if those lands are put up for sale. Some We don't even know how much land is going to be available, though. What's the city's role, and what can you do going forward to, to, to try to move that process along? Uh, that's a great question, and uh, and I think how you characterize it is exactly correct. I mean, we weren't uh, uh, deeply involved in the court proceedings. Uh, these weren't lands that we owned or controlled. I mean, certainly we have planning, uh, uh, land use planning policy that has uh, some uh, effect on those lands, but other than that, we don't own them, we don't control them. Um, so I think details of how this uh, arrangement uh, is going to uh, work are going to unfold as, as the court makes decisions and uh but I can tell you that uh uh council and and the administration are meeting on a fairly regular basis in fact I'll be meeting with the mayor in about 2 hours this morning uh to update him on some of the things that uh, we're contemplating I mean keep in mind this is 800 acres of of land that has had a host of um of business uh, activity for a long long period of time and as the you know as the curtain is being pulled back on you know, who's going to be operating there, um, I honestly and I'm not trying to be positive for the sake of positive, but uh, I think there is a wonderful opportunity for us to uh, uh, you know see a lot more uh, uh, economic activity on that property and in 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 addition to the uh, the steel work that is going to go on there. So um, you know I, I think we should be welcoming bedrock to this this community. I mean it's. Uh, and I think we should not lose sight of the fact that the province has completely stepped up uh, and tried to resolve, uh, you know, a, a situation that really wasn't going anywhere fast. 
Um, and so, um, you know, and, and so I, I think you know, there's just a massive opportunity for, for this community to, uh, to see good things happen on 800 acres. And, Bill, you know, when's the last time you had 800 acres of serviced land that you could start to think about how it could be developed? Um, and so we want to have a hand in that, clearly. Uh, we don't want to be an outsider and so we're starting to have talks with the province and uh, and the port authority about uh, you know how we can have a meaningful role in all of this. Again, details are, are a little bit sketchy at this stage, but yep. what we're told is that uh, with the the deal between the province and Bedrock is essentially they want to sell some of those uh, surplus lands off, and uh, the money created from those sales would be uh, allocated towards the the pension fund for for the. Uh, the, yep. the, the retirees, which sounds like a wonderful plan, but obviously the first question there is, well, who's going to pay for it? Uh, is the city a willing buyer here? Because it sound, doesn't sound as if it's going to be ceded to you. You're probably going to have to put write a check if you want some of this land, are you not? Yeah, I, I think right now uh, those details uh, aren't finalized by any stretch, and so uh, and we're more than happy to make everything public uh, as they start to unfold. So. I mean, we've, it's really starting to move faster, and, uh, and what the good thing is is that uh, um, we are now starting to have uh, more regular meetings with the province in terms of where this thing is going and, and what role that we can play in it all. So in terms of you know, the city owning the land or, or some other entity owning the land, those details are going to unfold uh, in the next little while. But the, the good news, I think, is, is that... Uh, uh, there is much more happening in, in recent weeks than has for a long, long time. And so, I mean, when you think about that, our, you know, everyone's image of Hamilton, and, uh, you know, I can say this as, as an outsider having moved here in the mid-'90s, I mean, you know, we, we think about that waterfront and, uh, and uh, you know, and all the activity that has gone on there. And we have such a, a great opportunity to work with the province and, and Bedrock and, and possibly others you know, to uh, turn it into something even more magnificent. And so um, that doesn't happen every day, especially land that is already serviced. So, uh, and this is where, you know, the city and city council in particular needs to, you know, be an active uh, player at the table and, uh, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, good businesses are settling there and doing good things. Let's uh, let's stay in that neighborhood. I want to also talk sure. about one of the other big projects, maybe the biggest one, well, aside from that LRT thing. We'll get to that in a second. Yep. But uh, it's the waterfront development on Pier 7 and 8 right now. Yep. You, you've got a plan. Uh, there seems to be some buy-in for the most part from most of the, the community members, although there are still some dissenting opinions on this. What's the plan for 2017? Because my understanding is that you guys want to start putting the shovel in the ground sooner than later. Yeah, we're we're going to market. So we're, you know, we're... Uh, seeking uh, proposals right now from uh, developers that uh, align with our vision for the waterfront uh, that will meet our, our guideline requirements so that uh, it gets built the way it should be built. And, uh, you know, and I said, I think before, um, you know, we're in no way, shape or form desperate uh, for anything. Uh, you know, we want to see, uh, you know, great architecture. We want to see great urban design. We want to see great buildings residentially, commercially, and so on, and great open space uh, incorporated into that, um, you know, and, uh, you know, so there is a plan, and that plan has been submitted to, to the, you know, development community to see who responds. Uh, there's a lot of interest, and it's not just local interest and not just provincial. Um, you know, we've had parties uh, up from uh, Manhattan, in fact, at one point was talking to us, and uh, so, you know, we expect to get a lot of uh, uh, diverse uh, response. 
um, and we're going to be able to pick and choose what it is that uh, who we want to work with. So, I mean, that's another you know a facet of our waterfront. I mean, we already have a a lot of fantastic work that's gone on there over the last decade and more, um, and this will only add to it. So, I mean, start to think about this. I mean, you've got the Stalco property that's not too far down the road. You've got Pier 8 and 7, and there's other land holdings that we have in the uh, uh, in that area that are substantial. And, uh, yeah, I, I would think 2017, you know, we should see uh, more answers than questions. You mentioned about the taxes just a little while ago, and the fact that 88% of uh, the, the taxes that are generated, the revenue t- from tax, uh, is coming from residential. Uh, and, and I just had a discussion with Lloyd Ferguson from the Police Services Board talking about budget uh, pressures and, and of course, in, invariably, when you go to arbitration, and you've seen this happen for many, many years, Chris, if there, in fact there is arbitration, they usually come back and simply say, well, of course the city has the ability to pay whatever we decide we're going to do with these guys, because you can just raise taxes. Uh, that's not what you're hearing from the ratepayers, obviously. They don't want to raise taxes. Uh, there's a big disconnect from city council's goal of where they want the tax increase this year to be to where you are now. How do you whittle that down? Yeah, and, and actually it's not just this year. Um, we're foreseeing the next uh, four years uh, because of the shift in, in, uh, in non-res uh, uh, tax responsibility. And, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the problem that we have right now, and senior leadership team is, uh, is turning its mind to, uh, you know, how are we going to find the millions that need to be uh, saved. I mean, this uh, is not really tweaking, and and I mean, no. we've seen other cities, Chris, that have have decided, okay, we have to start laying people off. We're going to have to start reducing services. Uh, we're going to close libraries for part of the week, and uh, there, there's always some discussion that uh, that you know the city staff are working on a, an ugly list of things that could be done to do this. And of course, city council has no appetite for that. But uh, whether or not there's any kind of game playing that goes on, the fact is, is you've got a, a huge, huge. Uh, chore ahead of you to try to whittle that down to where council wants it to be. I mean, a 6% tax increase right now is simply off the record, but it could well be if it, if the budget had to be passed today, that's where you sit. Yeah, and, and you and I both know that that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, I mean, we, uh, you know, we're uh, looking at uh, attrition and uh, we're looking at, uh, you know, uh, you know Positions that uh, you know, if a person does choose to retire, that there is a real savings that could be occur- accrued. So, um, we're looking at a number of options that uh, we're going to be presenting to council this month. Uh, I don't want to, you know, uh, send any kind of message to this organization that we're facing Armageddon or anything as serious as that. Um, you know, but uh, I think we can do this in a very smart manner. Um, you know, and uh, there's no question. Uh, I don't think we've leveraged technology in the kind of way in which uh, we should and and could uh, to uh, to do our work uh, more effectively. Um, so there's there's opportunities there. I know council approved uh, you know a few hundred thousand dollar investment in a digital strategy, which I think uh, you know other municipalities are certainly taking advantage of using technology much more effectively. And there's no reason why we can't be much more coordinated about that. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think we've got a, a good working relationship with our union leadership. I've met with them to uh, make sure that they're aware of the challenges that are ahead of us. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of confidence in our front line. I have a lot of confidence in our union members uh, in terms of ideas that uh, that they um, uh, they could bring to the table to help us address things uh, and, and uh, you know, keep the tax increases low. So, I really don't want a top-down approach to, you know, this kind of challenge. I think uh, we as an organization can sort out most things 
and uh, and do it in a very smart way. And that's really the conversation that's occurring right now with senior leadership. And I'll be presenting that to council in the next uh, few weeks. So, um, you know, I have a lot of faith in in the people that work here and their ability to do things uh, better. And uh, we're going to have to uh, lean on on people to uh, to help us figure out how we're going to save this money. Are we going to be having discussions about service levels? I mean, there was a discussion last year, which I guess has been put over to the budget uh, discussions of the cycle now, uh, about biweekly garbage collection, things of that nature. Which which obviously would there would be some savings accrued there. I mean, is is everything on the table now as far as you're concerned? Um. I mean, those options, uh, there's nothing new about them. Um, you know, I would like us to, uh, those options can certainly be considered. And, I mean, we've talked about uh, uh, the level of services. I look out the window right now, it's starting to snow, and uh, uh, we have uh, uh, a higher level of snow removal service than I know most municipalities do, and, and council's aware of that. And those are options. Uh, whether or not they're things that get acted on in 2017 or not, um, you know, certainly you know, how we run the organization, um, you know, and, uh, you know, opportunities to kind of consolidate uh, things if they make sense uh, to save money. I mean, these are the kinds of conversations we're having right now. We may come to, uh, you know, kinds of service reductions that you're talking about. I don't know if it will be in 2017. Um, right now, you know, I, I'm talking to senior leaders in our organization and, uh, and uh, how we can run the place uh, maybe that much more efficiently. Now, having said all of that, I mean, don't lose sight that in the last six, seven years, we've had the second lowest tax increases uh, for cities over 100,000 in the province. So, I mean, we've been doing, I think, a, a pretty reasonable job all along for all the reasons that we've already talked about here, trying, why we're trying to keep taxes low. Um, but we're just going to have to, um, we're going to have to do more. What about help from other levels of government? Uh, obviously, we've got the the investment in, in in LRT. We get that, and that's the the yeah. province's billion dollar thing. But you know the the talk about you know infrastructure money and you know fixing roads, sewers. I mean the, the ugly work, uh, the Claremont access, which was uh, obviously something that you guys had not budgeted for really, and it looks like that's going to cost a whack of cash. Uh, where does that money come from? Yeah, I mean we've been we've been pretty consistent. I think over the last several years about our our, our ballooning uh, asset management challenge, and uh, certainly the monies that are coming forward uh, federally, provincially, are earmarked in very specific ways. A lot of focus on transit, and uh, and yeah, and unfortunately, we just have many things we need to do. And uh, you know, a, a game plan for cities uh, nationally, provincially, uh, you know, I think is uh, long overdue. Um, you know, a lot of economic activity is occurring in cities. Uh, I was reading over the break, uh, Mayor Bloomberg, uh, some of the work that he's doing in the U.S. and uh, you know, and he's talking more and more about uh, you know the role that cities are playing in the uh, you know on the national landscape, and and we haven't seen that strategy. Uh, you know, everything seems to be done in a you know in a kind of a one-year, two-year kind of you know way. Yeah, they're all one-offs. Yeah, and that it's awfully hard to you know uh, have you know, medium or long range strategies if, you know, you don't know the money's gonna show up and so and to think that we're just gonna tax an aging population, you know, to the hilt to to pay for all of this is just uh you know, it's just not gonna happen. And so uh, you know, delivering service better, of course. Uh we're gonna have to figure out how to do that and leverage technology much more effectively. I think that's obvious. Um but yeah, we, we do need but you know it's interesting. I know some some of the U.S. states have tackled things like uh, 
you know, uh, taxes on soft drinks um, and has actually you know, reduced the amount of soft drink consumption. Uh, and those taxes have gone to, uh, to urban, uh, uh, you know, uh, affairs. And, you know, we've got to, I think we've got to think differently about uh, just, you know, general sales tax, to be quite honest. I mean, I know the province in those last go-round didn't want to really speak about that, and uh, I get it. Um, and, you know, they have uh, many things they've got to look after themselves uh, and use that tax for that purpose. But, you know, uh, you know, it just I find it interesting. Here we are as municipalities looking after public health uh, to a large extent and, and community services and recreation and all these things that are meant to keep us fit and healthy. Uh, but we don't have the money maybe to do it as well as we could, but yet, you know, we allow you know, uh, the fast food industry to just continue doing what it's doing without, you know, looking at it as maybe a source of some of our problems. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Here's another issue that uh, has has been problematic, in, not just in Hamilton, but in cities right across Ontario for many, many years now, and that's the issue of school closures. And, and I understand some of the concerns and challenges. We've had Todd White, the chairman of the board of the Hamilton Board of Education, on the show many times to talk about funding formulas and uh, for growth areas uh, like in places like Flamborough uh, and, and Binbrook and to build new schools, of course, and there's one in Ancaster that's opening today, as a matter of fact. Uh, they have to basically close down inner city schools and, and make a decision about some of these things. The problem is, of course, is that neighborhoods rejuvenate themselves, and that probably is no more important than it is in downtown Hamilton right now. And, and there are a number of elementary schools that are being targeted right now, uh, based on a report that was uh, tabled by the Board of Education back in November, which will call for the closure of several schools, including Bonetto, Kathy Weaver, Strathcona, and Hess Street School. Well, David Heske is uh, a member of Ca- Keep Hess Open. He's on the parent council of Hess Street School, and he's with us here in studio to talk about this. First of all, thanks for coming in, Dave. It's good to have you with us here. Thank you very much, Bill. I'm happy to be here. Happy New Year. Uh, hopefully it is going to be a happy New Year. Give us the scenario on what's going on, because I, I, I was surprised, frankly, about the Kathy Weaver situation and Strathcona, uh, but Hess Street was a real shocker to me, and I'll, I'll get my rationale in a minute or two, but I want to hear... Uh, your side of the story here. We've already heard the Board of Education scenario. Uh, where's this, where is this right now and what's happening? So, yeah, I'll tell you from the start. In mid-November, I saw the report that was released by the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. It actually only recommends closing Hess Street. It doesn't recommend closing Benetto or Kathy Weaver or any of these other ones, but it talks about targeting our school, my daughter's school, and then the first option is to send and bus 250 of the 350 students to make Benetto from a 500-person school to a 700-person mega school. So that was the initial report that was released in mid-November. Then there was a working committee meeting that was just an orientation where myself and the principal of our school, Hess Street, as well as one of the teachers, and then a parent rep, a teacher rep, and the principal from all of the other nine schools that are in this West Hamilton City review process. There's also a review process happening simultaneously at for Ancaster, but that's a different three or four schools. So in for West Hamilton City downtown, the we've had the first uh, orientation meeting. Then we had our first working committee, which is about 20 people. That was back in December. And now we're planning for this Wednesday night at six o'clock at Sir John A. McDonald gym, the first public meeting. And so 
the process, there's a timeline on the website if you want to go to that Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. It goes all the way from basically mid-November, last couple months ago, all the way till I think it's about May that the final decision will be made. They are saying that this initial report that the staff of the school board have released is just that, an initial report. And they're saying that the 20 of us on this working committee have the influence to change the initial report to present a modified final report that will hopefully give better options than the current options that are presented. Okay, but why, why, why did they want to focus on history then? It, so the building's not falling over. Correct. And it's 77% occupied, and the target for the school board is between 90 to 110% utilization. And if you look at the stats and the big report that they've issued, Hess isn't even the lowest of the uh, current occupancy. There's others that are down around the 60 65% mark. But the reason that they're targeting uh, Hess, I would say, is partially because our school is made up predominantly of new Canadians. A lot of people don't have English as their first language. And I actually think that they have come out to say, this school, of all the nine, which one's going to put up less of a fuss? And it's probably us. And I'm, Well, they read that wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I also think that they have uh, targeted Hess partially because it's in a downtown area that they think may not be revitalizing but actually is and they've already targeted the closure of Sir Johnny McDonald and now the oh, neighboring don't get, school Don't get me started on that. <laughs> that the, that was dead wrong too. Yeah, the neighboring school here at Hess Street is in a neighborhood where we have 100% of our students that walk. It just doesn't it doesn't make sense when you look at all of the data that shows the benefits of walking to school, the benefits of how the community is safer because kids walk to school and how much more the parents can be engaged and the students can be engaged in the school when they live 400 meters, that's the average walking distance, 400 meters from the school, and their proposal is they're going to bus 250 of us over to a new school and totally rip the heart out of the community. So the Central Neighborhood Association has come on and said, we are staunchly opposed to this. They'll be attending this Wednesday night meeting uh, in a couple of days. And there are other supporters. Andrea Horvath has written an article back in December to The Spectator where she basically, when my wife and I read it, she said, thriving communities need schools. Schools should be close to libraries, parks, and farmers markets. This is Hess Street School. That's the answer. Look at what's happening in the city. And this is why I was astounded by by the idea that Hess was being targeted like this. First of all, like I say, uh, I, to my knowledge, there's nothing wrong with the building. Correct. Uh, you know, it has good bones, as as they say in the business. Uh, I like strategically where it's located. I mean, I just had a discussion with the city manager just a few minutes ago on the program here, Dave, and essentially talking about all the work that's going to be going on down at Pier 7 and 8 mm-hmm. and the rejuvenation and the residential properties that are going to be built there. And you know damn well what's going to happen is if they went ahead with this project and said, okay, we're going to shut down Hess, in eight, six or seven years they're going to be saying, well, you know what, we need to build a school down there. Uh, you've got one already. Why would you close it in the first place? There is growth that's happening downtown. We see this happening all the time. And and I, 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 I share your frustration here because I've got the same concern about the fact that 
uh, it serves, I think, an extra special purpose here. First of all, like you say, the, the, from a, a population standpoint uh, within the school there, I mean, 77% is, is, is pretty good when it comes to the number of students that are there. But it's the kind of people that are being served. Um, it's, it's, it's new Canadians. It's new Hamiltonians, just like Johnny McDonald, just around the corner from it. We're doing the same thing, too. And, and I think there has to be some consideration given for that. I agree. And when, when we had our parent council meeting in December, we had 30 parents come out. Most of them spoke either Somali or Arabic. And the, so we had to have some translation for them. And at the meeting tomorrow night or on Wednesday night, there will be translation available. So we're rallying up. We're having a meeting at the school on Tuesday and then a meeting to all of us go over on Wednesday night. But the... The fact that these people and some of them that I've talked to, they're my friends, they're my neighbors, they have said, David, we have been through so much. And one of the things we like about living in this area is we live so close to the school. We can walk there. And when we came to Canada, we wanted to live in a spot. We told Wesley or whatever immigration services that we wanted to be in a neighborhood that we could simply walk to get our groceries, walk to take our kids to school and not have as much change as we've come from. And now all of a sudden, their world is being, they're stressed because now something that was consistent for them that was the community at Hess Street and all the p- teachers that they knew, the principal that they knew, all of that is at risk of being changed. But you've got, look, you've school there, John, Sir John A., which should stay open too. And sadly, it looks like that ship has sailed, but you don't, you never say never, I guess. But if you look at people and the ethnicity and the, the fact that so many new Canadians are settling in that particular area, you've got a grocery store that serves that need over in Jackson Square. Uh, the school is right there. Uh, the amenities that they need, the social services that they need, the outreach programs that they need are all right there too. Why would you put them on buses and ship them halfway across the city? And there's no way that the parents are going to go to parent-teacher interviews. There's no way that parents will drive. They don't have cars. So how are they, And there's no HSR readily accessible from our neighborhood. It would A couple buses to get to Benetto downtown or in the north end, but it's not something as easy as just walking the 400 meters to get to your school. And I think that that the other thing that I hope will sway uh, committee members as we're work, I'm working together with them and eventually the trustees when they vote on this in May and June is the number that has been thrown out in the past for reviews like this is $40,000 per bus. And so I've just in initial calculations as an engineer uh, figured out that $40,000 per bus per year times four buses is what we think is probably going to take for 250 students. And if you calculate that out over the next 20 years with no inflation, and I think their $40,000 is actually on the low end, but it's actually $3 million that they're going to be spending on transportation. And the current cost of what they're saying to revitalize Hess over the next five to 10 years, structurally to make it accessible for wheelchairs, to enlarge the gym, things like that, is actually $2.5 million. So they're saying, okay, we need this money because all of our schools are falling apart. And at Hess, it's 2.5. At a few others, it's 4 or uh, 5 million. But we're going to save the 2.5. We're going to close Hess, get rid of that building problem. But the, I don't, nowhere in the report does it talk about the bus costs, but it's a key element that needs to be considered because it's going to be in excess of $3 million. Some years ago, just to put this in perspective for, for our listeners, uh, the Board of Education, in their wisdom, or lack thereof, decided to close Scott Park High School. That's the one in the stadium district. Uh, and, and, you know, that, that was the decision that was made. 
Well, now, because of what's happened in the downtown Hamilton, and I'm talking about the greater downtown area right now, lo and behold, they have to build a new school. And guess where they're building it? Right there. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, and to justify it, they're going to shut down Sir John A. McDonald, which is serving right around the corner from Hess Street School. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. And we've seen this happen before as neighborhoods become rejuvenated or repopulated. In other words, as, as empty nesters move out and new families come in, they want schools. Yes. And, and then all of a sudden, the boards of education are... They're hanged, hogtied by this by saying, well, we don't have the money to build a new school. Now we need a new inner city school. And they're doing this this dance around here about putting this one here and that one here. Just leave them. Yeah. I mean, th- th- it's the circle of life. I mean, the Catholic board did this with a couple of schools years ago, too, where they were ready to shut them down because there was a lower population. Within about five years, the population starts to re- increase once again, and they're stuck. I, the other thing, this, this requires a little vision, David. I agree. And the other thing that they've given us projections based on what they think the population will be. And I understand that Canadians are having less kids and that the average if, of the average age is increasing as the baby boomers become seniors. But the thing that is not considered, to my knowledge, in the reports are the development of Pier 7 and 8 the Barton-Tiffany area, or what's happening in Jamesville. And so all of those three developments that are happening in our central neighborhood and in the North End are going to drastically impact who comes to the schools in the neighborhood. And those things need to be taken into consideration. And the projections that the school board is providing us, unfortunately, I don't think are accurate. And one of the things that actually backs that up is from... June until September, when the school ends, they have to submit what their uh, projection is for the next year. And then in September, classes all across the city get shuffled around because they can't even project from June until September what the actual size of the school is going to be come September time. And so now they're trying to tell us, well, look at the data that we've put on these tables from 2017 all the way till 2024, whenever it is, and trust us that we got those numbers right based on population growth. Well, I'm not trusting those numbers because I can't even trust that the numbers that they give from June until September are actually accurate because my kids' classes have changed around and they had to create another grade one class and they knew what the number was going to be in June. <laughs> Why were they so surprised in September? I'm not so sure. All right, let's take the board at their word that, uh, that this is a preliminary report, okay? And and nothing is carved in stone yet. Now, you mentioned there's a meeting coming up on Wednesday. What, what are you looking for here from the community? Well, the at, so at our uh, meeting that was planning for this uh, public meeting on Wednesday night, the discussion was that there would be roundtable discussions of about 8 to 10 people each that are going to happen. And there will be a designated Hamilton Wentworth District School Board staff person that's going to record. There will be translators as well. And all of that data is going to be coming back to myself and the 20 people on this working committee. And so we are hoping that parents and community members will come out on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock to the Sir Johnny McDonald Gymnasium and say what they like about their school. What If they had a million dollars or two million dollars, what would they do to make their school better? And what do they think about their child's education as it is right now? The other thing that I think comes into this discussion that we as a working committee of the 20 of us are considering is the boundary lines and the catchment areas for all of the schools are somewhat haphazard and have changed multiple times over the 
10 or 15, 20 years in the past. So I've asked the staff to prepare and to give us the historical maps that show how has the Hess Street Street School catchment area shrunk actually over time. And so that it, it, it was shrunk basically to compensate for other schools so that kids that used to come to our school were sent to other schools. So, and where does, where does French immersion sit in all this? Currently, all of the uh, schools in our area send their kids to French immersion at Earl Kitchener, and then they send them to in grades six, seven, and eight to Ryerson. Whereas if there, a kid lives right by Beneno School in the North End, in my opinion, there's no reason that they have to be bused all the way to Earl Kitchener. Why couldn't we perhaps open a French immersion at Hess Street or open a French immersion at Benetto, save some of the busing costs? Because right now, all of this transportation is resulting in just kids being shuffled out of their community. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.